When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Crunching the numbers. Thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre, a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north, which has tennis for everyone. Perfect for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete. Close to Melbourne Airport with accommodation available. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. Hello and welcome back to Crunching the Numbers. This is Stephen Huss and we are on episode three. I'm here with my buddy Chris Tonts, who uh, I believe is in Paris. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, you're right. I'm in Paris for the 125K. Uh, right before this, I was in St. Malo for another 125 and and then we go off to Rabat and then French Open. So just trying to get some matches here. Things are good. Absolutely. And uh, today uh, we are going to talk about clay. And since you're right in the middle of the clay swing and and very close to uh, obviously French Open qualifying starts next week, but uh, your player Claire Liu is is main draw. So she's you said she's going off to Rabat for another event to prepare. But what are your observations of uh, the clay court swing so far? And perhaps do you have any general observations about you know the, the clay swing in general do you enjoy it you know what's the opinion from an american perspective we know that the americans haven't traditionally done especially well on <laughs> at the french open so just give us your thoughts okay. around the clay court swing first off the, the good news for me is that the, the girl i travel with claire lou she she actually grew up on clay at carson so that's pretty unique, especially a SoCal player. So I know she really looks forward to the clay. She, she tends to do pretty well, I feel like, uh, on clay courts. And, and it's like she can go from grass and then the next week she could play a clay court tournament. We've done that before, no problem. So my observations is it's kind of nice to, you know, we, in Charleston, those clay courts, the, the green clay, the hard true is a little bit quicker, plays like a hard court and finally here the courts kind of slowed down a little bit more so you know I mean I could give you some observations I'm seeing is but maybe you could speak a little more on on this I know you've really looked into it but you know a chance to set the point up a little better some things that work I feel like are wrong footing your opponent like working on some drop shots or playing back behind bringing them forward you know anything to kind of get them off balance so so far she's gotten i think five matches so it's been a good start with the you know that was the goal is trying to to build up some matches but i'll ask you i mean you've i know you've worked a lot on clay getting ready for for some of these tournaments be what would you be looking to do as a coach yeah i think that uh, clay is definitely a bit of a unique surface and obviously one that the uh, europeans and south americans tend to excel at but pretty interestingly i mean i grew up in melbourne and we played on a surface called Anticar, and that was what i was on you know the vast majority of the time so and that's very much like clay so I think there are people in Australia that have spent a lot of time on it. The biggest difference, obviously, is the actual surface. 
And just because of the variation in bounce, you don't get a true bounce all the time on a clay court. And therefore, I think you see the best players adjust their games a little bit and the coaches will adjust for it a little bit. So what I mean by that is when you play on a hard court or an indoor, the bounce is always true. So taking the ball early, taking time away, you know, taking uh, half volleys is not so much of a risk because of, you know, the exceptional timing that, uh, that really good players tend to have. Whereas on clay, the tendency is to let the ball settle a little bit more. So don't take it quite as early because of the variance in bounce. I think that's a, a really big thing. And then obviously, because the surface slows the ball down so much more, it's you have to generate your own pace much more rather than sort of redirecting pace. So if you think about a fast hard court, someone hits a ground stroke at you, you can just kind of use your hands and send it back and the ball will skid off the surface. If you do that on clay, the ball will sit there and ask to be attacked. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of uh, people in player development are calling for players to play more on clay is because they have to generate more of their own shot and therefore they're going to kind of use the kinetic chain, use their body, use the ground forces to, to uh, produce more power. So mm. as a development tool, uh, I think that's why people are big on clay. And I think there's... It's a really interesting discussion and perhaps we, we could do more on it another time. But, you know, certainly in this country, in, in the USA and also in uh, Australia, there's talk of having more clay courts, using that as more as a development tool. But then there are people saying, oh, well, why would we go away from our style and our strength, which is, you know, in America, it's a faster hard court. In Australia, it's much more of a you know transitional game or all court game. And so to me, it's a pretty big discussion that uh, perhaps now is not the time, but those are the sort of things that I see on clay. And then within play, you mentioned it, I love to see more drop shots uh, just because the ball isn't going to, you know, skid through to your opponent. It's going to sit a lot more and not go on. So drop shots are more effective. And that's also because people are playing a little bit further back because they're letting the ball settle a little bit more. And you also see angles being used, you know, more players opening the court, you know, laterally there, I think there's more movement outside of the singles line and even outside of the doubles line uh, when you get into people who generate a lot of spin and are able to get angles. So I love watching tennis on clay. I think it's, uh, I think it's a supreme surface. It's, I love watching the French Open. I loved playing there when I was a player. I thought the courts there are the absolute best in the world. Um, so yeah. always enjoyed um, going to France and playing on the clay there. Just thinking about some really great observations and respecting the bounce, uh, just being more physical. These are things that, that we did work on, Claire and I, you know, getting ready for this trip. Uh, I would like to add, and there's probably some coaches out there thinking the same thing. You also want to stay true to what your player can do. So I'm going to give you one example. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't on clay. But uh, Claire likes to take returns and come to the net second serve. She likes to put pressure on. There's some girls I know last week she played Aster Sharma. who has got just a fantastic kick. And that's just not going to work on clay. But some of these other girls, you can still do you can still do that. You can still keep some pressure on. I'm sure we'll talk about Alcarez here. It's nice to see him, you know, mixing in some serving volleys on clay. Claire likes to go for a spot. So sometimes on clay, people might just want to kick it in and let's start the point. I still want her to, to go after her spots to set up the best possible first ball after the serve. So, you know, I'm trying to stay consistent with what she can do well, but also sprinkle in what you mentioned and and these things like uh, absorbing, I can give myself more time. I can, when the point's developing, or developing, I can open the court. So 
anyways, that was just an observation I was thinking about. You be careful there, Chris. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Hey, that crazy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned the physical side, and I think that's another side that we could go on a, a bit more about. But, the, you know, the sliding on clay is obviously different with the movement. I like what Jose Higueras told us, one of the great coaches in the world and, and originally from Spain. He talked about how sliding is... You know, he would say, you know, only slide if you have to slide. You don't have to slide. And I was watching uh, some of the some of the best matches from Madrid, and quite often, you know, a guy like Alcaraz will hit and then kind of land and slide after the hit. So it's not always about sliding into the ball. Um, sometimes it's about, you know, if you can get to the ball without sliding, then you can you can best use your body to produce power. So I think that's something to look out for. It's not like you slide into every single shot. And then I think when you play on clay, you know, legs and heart become, you know, an even bigger factor. And, and the physical fitness certainly tends a little bit more towards the endurance side because the you know the, the points and the matches are often a little bit longer as we said if you're being pushed outside the singles lines and, and covering more ground then that is going to play more of a factor so having you know great physical fitness and and then obviously the endurance to be able to do that over time sets you up um, to play well on clay do you have some numbers too don't you Absolutely. We should get to some numbers, seeing as though this is called crunching the numbers. Let's get to that. I got some uh, information from uh, data-driven sports analytics, uh, one of the best out there in an Australian company, um, on sort of some of the differences uh, that happen on clay compared to uh, other surfaces. So let's dive into them and I'll, I'll get your reaction. Jump in whenever you want to, Chris. Basically, uh, one of the things that clay does, obviously, is slows down the serve. So the serve isn't quite as effective as the other surfaces. And that obviously corresponds the other way with returns. So men and women tend to break more often on clay than they do uh, on the other surfaces and one of the reasons that is because you can find uh, with the return you can find opponents backhands uh, in the men's game more often there isn't a big change in the women's game but for instance uh, serve plus one forehands on hard court is about 63 percent for the men whereas serve plus one forehands on clay is about 55 percent for the men so that drops a lot we know that getting a serve plus one forehand is almost always advantageous to the server. And I say almost always, because there are always exceptions to some of these numbers. But when you look at them in totality, that's what we see more often. For the women's side, forehands on hard, serve plus one are 56%. And on clay, they're 53%. So not a big difference. Thinking out loud here, but I'm wondering if perhaps that's in the men's game, you'll kind of let the ball settle on the return more. So you have more time to really direct the ball and in the women's game you don't see people standing really too far back like way back there letting the ball settle I wonder if they just don't have the time to actually say okay I'm going to go here that's just what I'm thinking but that's an interesting stat to me my first reaction was I was going to challenge you on that and say well when they're serving they don't really have time to get far back for the plus one right but then I thought hang on before you open your mouth and challenge Chris just remember that quite often the return is standing quite a long way back right so perhaps they have more time after the serve to actually get a bit of ground backward so they can find their forehand more often but that's a that's one to watch out for that's perhaps what you know we and the the listeners can check out and see how often plus one four hands are happening and where the position in the court is right yeah that's that's very interesting i like that i I will check that out 
you know, we talk about the forehand being the more dominant side in tennis and especially in men's tennis, but it's becoming even more so in women's tennis as well. On clay, because you have more time, um, there are more upgrades to forehands. And especially on the men's side where on hard court, they are hitting about 21% from the ad side. So think about running around your backhand, hitting a forehand from the ad side. That's happening about 21% of the time on hard. Whereas on clay, it's happening 34% of the time. So that to me is a really significant difference. And I'm sure that you would agree your eyes would see that as well. Is that right, Chris? From what I'm seeing is, and this is, you know, my observation is, I'm starting to see more more players here, more women players where the forehand's the better side, uh, which is kind of cool to see. In my opinion, you could put more spin on the ball. You, you have the ability to, to, to play other spin, flatten it out. You can, you can hit it harder. We've done, you know, we put together the numbers from the U.S. Open uh, 2019 on r- rally ball speed. And uh, I think there was only one woman, and it was just one woman in the whole tournament and zero men that hit their backhand harder than their forehand too. You also have that ability on the forehand to hit it harder too. So uh, yeah, I can see why looking for the forehand, it, it would be very advantageous. That's a very good one to look for or to actually work on too, right? No question. And great stats on rally speed there. That's cool. And then when we talk about, I mean, it's pretty typical if we think of a Spanish player, we always think of, well, at least I do, they have more of an extreme Western grip on the forehand. So generating, you know, more spin. The statistics sort of say that a Western grip is going to have more success on clay than on hard. They have better success on hard court, a Western grip, you know, an extreme grip on a forehand side wins about 46.6% of the time on hard court. And on clay, they win 49.9%. Uh, whereas if you look at the Eastern grip and the semi-Western grip, those percentages, when you change from hard to clay, stay within 1%. With a Western grip, it, it jumps up about 3.3% for a Western grip. So clearly, if uh, you're a player with a Western grip, you want a little more time, you want to be able to get under the ball, a little yeah. better and that is going to suit clay you know better so look out for uh, some players with western grips at the french open <laughs> their tendency is to uh do a little better there very good and i, I just think of sam stoza with the uh when i think of the australian players and, and how well she was able to play yeah. on clay where a lot of people thought that her game style was more suited to grass because she served well and had good volleying skills but uh mm. When it came down to it, um, you look back on her singles career and she had a lot more success on clay and, and perhaps that's yeah. one of the big reasons why. That's a good stat. Uh, talked about matches being a little bit longer. So the set duration on clay average about 8.24 minutes longer for men and 5.2 minutes longer for women. So it's not a long period of time, but think about if you play a 7-6 set and it goes for, you know, 55 minutes on hard court, then you're looking at, you know, close to an hour and four on clay. And then if you times that by two, you're looking at about an extra 16 minutes. And if, you, if you're playing three sets in the women and five sets in the men, now you're looking at close to half an hour or an hour extra on court. So that's where the physical fitness comes into it. We already talked about first serve percentage one. So points one on your first serve goes down on clay as compared to hard court, which is, you know, the, we've talked about the reasons why. So I think that's fairly obvious. Second serve one on clay is similar to hard court when you look at the top 100 men. The range on clay uh, of second serve percentage one is between 54 and 58% on clay and 54 and 57% on hard court. So 
there isn't a big difference there. I was actually looking at some research papers and journal articles as well as part of the, the course that I'm doing. And basically, return games one increases from the other Grand Slams to the French Open. It goes from about 20% on the men's side to 24% one. So this, this is return games one. And on the women's side, it goes from 33% one to 36%. So what's interesting here is the big difference in men and women. Uh, I'm sure you can tell us why, Chris. The men serve like, uh, let's see, uh, 100, about 20 miles an hour faster, I think was what we found out is, I mean, that's a huge advantage to be able to serve. They just serve bigger and uh, and also perhaps the kick can jump up a little more, but I, I would just say it's just overall serve speed really, really helps them. What do you think? Absolutely, it is. It comes down to serving. Uh, the fact that the guys serve bigger, they have you know bigger spin rate and speed uh, on mm. on second serve as well. It comes down to time, Chris. I mean, we, we've heard people in the organization that we used to work for, mentors of mine, talk about you know tennis is about time, and basically, yeah. obviously, it depends a little bit on where you stand. But on a on a hard court, men have about 0.7 of a second before they need to hit the return, and the women have about one second. So it doesn't yeah. sound like a big difference, but you know if you think about it, that is a significant difference. Um, and so the women are able to impact returns better, get ahead in the point a little bit more. That is certainly the reason why yeah. the, the women are able to break just because of the serving differentials with the genders. I have a question for you regarding uh, rally length. I know you've looked a lot at this. The perception is that there is a huge difference in rally length between grass court tennis and clay court tennis. Surely all the points at Roland Garros go long and are arduous. So can you, uh, can you tell us what the stats are and your reflections on those? Yeah. So I, so I put together, this was 2019. I put together the, the rally lengths for the, the four slams, the one to four is like we said, serve return and and one shot, one shot each Uh, at the French uh, for the men. It's still, they're able to, one to four is the lowest of all the slams for the French Open for the clay. So you would think, what would you think would be would be the largest number of one to four rally length? What what slam? Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is Wimbledon. It's the fastest surface, right? Surely the most shortest yeah. points happen there. Yeah, what I would think, and, and surprisingly, this is for the men and the women that year. It's, so if the French uh, one to four rally lengths with 54% of all points. The Australian Open for the men was 64%. That was number one ahead of Wimbledon. Wimbledon wow. was 61% and the Australian was 64. U.S. Open was 57%. And that, like I said, French was 54. For the women, uh, French was still the, the lowest one to four was, was the French. And the, the Australian was the highest. 69% of all points was one to four. Now, this is from quarters on. I believe, yeah, this is quarters on. Uh, Wimbledon, if you think uh, in the women's game, French Open was 52%. Wimbledon was 55% one to four, and then Australian was 69 So if you had to guess, why do you think the one to four would be highest at maybe the Australian and, and not Wimbledon? You have been telling me, and I was at the Australian Open that year in 2019 working, and the courts were fast. So even though we think about hard courts as being the in-between medium surface, we know that Wimbledon has slowed down tremendously their surface. The grass is longer and the balls are bigger 
and the grass is manicured to perfection so people can stay back a lot more. So the conditions have certainly changed at Wimbledon over the past 20, 25 years. And then at the hardcore events like the Australian Open and the US Open, the tournament has the ability to speed up the courts or slow the courts down. And they'll often do that based on, I guess, a few things. But one could be, all right, what do the public want to see? How do we have our best show to put on? But they also might think about their local players and who has the best chance and what would they want, what sort of speed surface um, suits most of our local players. So that does happen. So I would think that the Australian Open, the surface was fast. But I think one thing that you did was delve a little bit deeper into the players that were involved at the end of the Australian Open. Because remember, these statistics are from the pointy end of the tournament. So the quarterfinals onwards. So this is the elite yeah. of the elite. So tell us what players were involved in that Australian Open. We checked right right before we came on. I think it was uh, Serena Williams, Osaka, Kvitova, Pliskova. We got players that are served at Barty. was one, another big serves and can do something with that first ball. Have good good power to back it up. So I always think of, I think it was Mark Twain who said there's lies, damn lies and statistics. Like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, you want to think a little bit about it a little more and just not take it as, okay, this is fact is, uh, but I, I do think I, I've seen this in, in other years that uh, the Australian open, as you know, is a pretty quick surface, but yeah, Wimbledon's usually up there with the Australian French is usually the lowest for the rally lengths. And then the U S open is probably second behind the French, but Australian and Wimbledon are probably the two of the quicker surfaces. But anyways, yeah, just, just a reminder when you hear some of these stats, like I said, for me, anyways, you still want to be true to what your player can do and try to find that right balance because, you know, you gave a lot of good good things to think about. But at the end of the day, you also want to, how can that relate to, to my player, I think? No question. The identity of the player won't change, but perhaps some of the nuances of what they do on a different surface might. I had a similar uh, experience with uh, when I was coaching Jenny Brady and we went to the grass and the first grass court match she played, she was slicing her backhand and running to the net. <laughs> and, uh, that is not generally a winning play for Jenny. And uh, so after the match, we spoke and I, and I said, Jenny, remember that, you know, you're a forehand dominant player. Your backhand's flat and fast, so you can do that. And your strength isn't necessarily around the net. Yes, you can volley um, and you can finish there when you're in advantage, but you don't want to be slicing your backhand and running to the net just because it's grass. Don't change who you are. Don't change the player you are. After that loss, she had a pretty good grass court campaign that year because she just went back to being who she is, her strengths and playing that way. And then just understanding what does the surface do for me? How can it help me a little bit more? And, and some of those nuances are what you want to put in rather than changing your whole style. So really good point, Chris. I want to touch a little bit more on these uh, rally length statistics. And then I'm going to ask you a little bit about the upcoming French Open. And, and then I think yeah, yeah. We, need, we need to be done here. But just looking at these statistics, every Grand Slam, more than half the points are played in the first four shots. So that sort of adds value and credibility to what we talked about in our first show with work, working on the serve and return. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then if you think about the other end of the spectrum, which is the long points, which is the nine plus, mm. I mean, have a look at the range in rally lengths that we are looking at here. Um, and we'll share with you is the most that was played was the French Open for men. That's 17% of points going to a long rally of nine plus shots. So that's only mm -hmm. five shots for one player. And then 16% on the women's side. 
everything else is underneath that. So basically, long rallies are only occurring between one and two times out of every 10 points. I've got that right, Chris? Totally right. Crazy. Uh, You know, it just reminds me at Wimbledon where you think of, and this is what I was taught, and I've talked to some good coaches, and they've said this, but I could be wrong, but at Wimbledon, you maybe want to serve, uh, work on the, the wide serves and, you know, serve plus one in the open corner. Sometimes on clay, you know, you can also play back behind. You can get them stretched and tee on the deuce, play back behind. I've seen a lot of girls, some of these bigger girls, um, taller, that don't move the best. They struggle to change direction. So it's just some interesting things to think about is how do you set yourself up with these first few shots? You know, thinking of Wimbledon, trying to serve the corners a little more to the in an open court you know how do you do that more on clay to give yourself the best chance or or like you said you know how do you set up you know that forehand after your serve if possible really interesting when you think about these long rally lengths but how do you set up yourself for those the intermediate points and to give yourself the best chance in the the one to four which is still over 50%, right? Which is still a big part of the game. No, absolutely. And I think this comes down to specificity in practice as well. And it's something for, you know, parents, coaches, players to consider that in match situations, the long rally is not even occurring two out of 10 times. So if you are training for matches, if you're at that stage of your development, then uh, remember to practice the short stuff, the early stuff in the rally. Um, just as much as you practice the long stuff. So I, I think that's just valuable insight. So I hope you've enjoyed some of these uh, numbers that we've shared with you today. And we've talked a lot about clay court tennis. So I know it's tough time to watch in Australia, but hopefully people are up watching it because I think it's fantastic viewing. But last thing, Chris, b- before we sort of recorded this, we talked about, or you made an observation that I've also seen. Tell us about the players arriving for French Open qualies and also <laughs> the ones that will be arriving, you know, the middle of next week, late next week for French Open main draw, how they're feeling and then perhaps how that shifts. Kind of joking with you before the call, but I, I'm staying at one of the tournament hotels, which is right down the street. And so today I'm going to start seeing all the qualifiers on a Thursday. And I just, yeah, as you know what it's like, it's the first few days, everyone's in this really happy mood and, you know, everyone's laughing, giggling. But as we start to get close to, to Sunday, the stress level starts to really, really start to build. And you can see it. You can see it in the in these players. So, you know, what would you do as a coach knowing this, that this stress is going to build to give your player the best chance? What do you think? It's interesting and it's a good observation. It's certainly something that uh, I've seen and I, and I obviously experienced when I played as well. I mean, when you first get there, you're so excited, but then as the match draws near, you just kind of get more, more and more anxious and nervous. And I think that the first thing to recognize is that's a, that's a really normal thing and to accept that's the way it is. And then it's, can you get your mind back to, all right, what are my strengths? How am I going to play? Yeah. What is my style? And try and focus on that. One cool thing that I, I did a few years ago when I was with Caroline Dollahide, she was about to play and she was really, really nervous about, about her match. I actually found an old video of her as like a 11-year-old or 12-year-old girl <laughs> on the USTA side. It. 
you know, with her squeaky little voice. And I showed her the video and I said, hey, do you think, <laughs> do you think this girl would be excited to play at the French Open? Do you think that she knew that she was going to have the opportunity to play at the French Open? And, <laughs> and of course, she got a bit embarrassed and smiled and laughed. And, and, you know, that just kind of eased tensions a little bit. And I do believe that part of the role of, of us as coaches is to ease that anxiety. So I think that as you get closer to the match, you want to do things that they're more confident in. You don't no longer want to be working on weaknesses that they're not going to be executing very often. You want yeah. to be working on strengths and then you want to find a way to lighten the load a little bit, whether it's a little video of them as a little girl or you go for a croissant around the corner where there's no tennis players. Like that sort of thing, I, I think is valuable. Totally agree. Yeah, keep it simple. Chris, well, we're out of time for this uh, edition of Crunching the Numbers, but thanks for uh, sharing your observations. We hope the, uh, the listeners have, have enjoyed this episode and uh, perhaps take some of the information and apply it to your own tennis. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.